Good morning. Well, I have big news to tell you. In just a few weeks, I'm about to turn 68 years old. I know. Well, oh, well, thanks for that. I'd prefer gifts, but if you want to applaud, that's just fine. I got to tell you, I'm in a bit of a shock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been one to set five or ten year goals, which I'm so glad I didn't, because the way I've spent my life in ministry and career it was never even a thought, and I have loved every minute of it. However, When I turned 60, I decided that each year I was going to make a decision or do something in order to make my life better than it was. Because, you know, at 60, I figured I had about 20 years, good years left. 68, I figure I got about 12 good years left. Now, I don't mean to be morbid, but it's important to me to to stand here and not say, these were my best years. I want these to be my best years. So I was going to make a decision every year to squeeze the most out of my life. For example, when I turned 60, I decided that I was going to start saying yes, because I had a tendency to say no, because I'm an introvert. And I just love being alone with me. The problem with that is I'd become so isolated that I lost out on a lot of great time with my family and my friends, and I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. So from now on, I decided when somebody asked me to do something or go somewhere, I would say yes. And that's what I've done. Now, it's interesting because when I was 60, I was living in Illinois, and then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, Nashville, Tennessee, Denver, Colorado, and then finally Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. It has been a very fun eight years. When I turned 65, a few of you might remember because I showed a video of it, I jumped out of an airplane because I wanted to face my fear of heights and face all my other fears, but I'm still recovering from that jump out of the plane. It was horrific. So now I'm about to turn 68, and it's pretty clear what I need to do, and that is rebuild my faith. Because I love faith. I love to walk by faith and pray in faith and speak in faith. And it took me a while to understand what faith was. When I was born into, I promise I'm not going to give a play-by-play of my whole life, but I was born into a, a Christian family that were churchgoers. So for me, God was just part of the family. He had a place at the table. He's like Uncle Al with a cigar. He was a great guy. We loved to talk to him. We loved to visit him a few times a week. Well, I just loved Uncle Al. And God knows this. I mean, I I just knew that he created the world, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and raised from the dead so I could live with him for eternity. But that's about it. Generally, he was just Uncle Al to me. And faith wasn't so much a part of that life. I mean, I knew it required faith to believe in God and to believe in Jesus, but faith was not a word that we used. And we didn't pray in faith or speak about faith, so it, w- it wasn't something that I was familiar with until in my early 20s, I started to attend a different kind of church in Illinois, a Willow Creek Community Church. And I began to hear teachings like I'd never heard before about Jesus, and I fell in love with Jesus. I loved everything about him. I loved to read about him and worship him and pray. And I was introduced to faith for the first time, at least from my perspective. We prayed for people to come to know Christ. I prayed that God would meet people where they were at. And in faith, I prayed that God would give them courage and joy and love and peace, whatever they needed. But in my early 40s, I see how my life is in chunks of 20s. But in my early 40s, I started to feel a little unsettled, a little itchy. And I, I, I kept thinking there's more. 
And the word faith kept coming to me. And I thought, there's got to be more to faith than this, but I have no idea what it is. So I'd ask God, God, what, what do you want to teach me here? Well, around that time, a friend invited me to a conference in Kansas City at the International House of Prayer. <laughs> in the words of Aladdin, this was a whole new world. I had never been around Charismatics or Pentecostals, and whoo, baby! But it only took me a couple of hours to feel like this were, these were my people. I was home. I loved everything about this experience. I loved their, their passion, their authenticity, their belief that God could do anything. I heard about prophetic words. I heard that to believe for the impossible and the improbable. And I was introduced to the Holy Spirit. I mean, I guess he was always there, but to me, he was always the ooky spooky Holy Spirit. I met the Holy Spirit, and I, I understood that he spoke to me. And I could hear his voice, and he encouraged me and led me, and I loved it. And I came home, and I found a charismatic church to be a part of. And I was part of a prayer ministry where we saw people getting healed on every level, not all the time, but enough that kept my faith going. And I began to read the Bible in a different way, and I came across a verse that changed my life, that became my life verse. And it was from Romans, and it's Paul describing Abraham's faith. His faith would call that which is not as though it is. Oh, I love that verse. That, be, that verse became mine. I spoke it. I prayed it. I believed it. When I would pray for people, when I would think about people, I'd call forth that which is not as though it is. And I lived passionately with that life verse for a good 20 years. And then I come to my 60s. And early in my 60s, I get a call from my son Dugan that his daughter, my granddaughter, Ava, had fallen and suffered a traumatic brain injury. Well, the first couple of days, it was though my throat had closed up. I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't speak. I, I could barely breathe. But when I got past that, I went, as scripture said, I went boldly before the throne of God and said, God, you will heal Ava. I call forth that which is not as though it is. I call forth that she will walk and run, that she will raise her hands in the air, and that she will worship you, and the whole world will know what a God you are. I prayed for this day after day, week after week, month after month, but she never got up. Now, let me be clear here. Make no mistake. Ava is a miracle. She wasn't supposed to live, she lives. She wasn't supposed to breathe on her own, she breathes. She wasn't supposed to do anything but lay there. This girl moves her arms, her legs, she smiles, she laughs, she communicates with her voice, she communicates with her eyes, her whole countenance changes when somebody she knows and loves comes to see her or she's going to someplace exciting. Every day, this girl heals a little bit more. She is a miracle. But... She didn't, she didn't come forth like I called. In fact, that first year, Ava was in the hospital more than she was at home. And so one day, about the 11th month, I went to God with my faith in my hands, and I said, I, I can't hold on to this anymore. And I let it go. And it basically just shattered all at my feet. And I walked away. I didn't walk away from God or Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I love these guys too much. I couldn't live life without them. But faith, I couldn't hold on to it anymore. 
So here I am about to approach my 68th birthday, and I'm feeling unsettled and itchy, very familiar. And again, it's about faith. And I know it's time for me to rebuild my faith because it's how I want to live my life. But I also recognize just the other day that I'm afraid. I'm afraid to have faith again because it's so hard. So I went to God and said, I need you to rebuild my faith. I need you to do it. This can't come from a great teacher or a prayer ministry or a really good book. God, I need you to rebuild my faith. Would you do that? And of course, God said yes. And he said, well, Sharon, <clears throat> since Abraham has been so key in your faith, I want you to go and read his life. I want you to read about him so that you can get a full picture of what faith looks like. So after that big introduction, that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. Now, I'm only a couple weeks in. This is very fresh for me. But as I thought about it, I imagine that I'm not the only person in this room or online who may not may be at a place where faith isn't talked about. It's not part of your life. Or you may be one of those that pray for God to do what you know he can do and have faith in that. There may be some who truly break out of that box and believe for the miraculous and you walk in that kind of faith. But there may be some of you like me right now that have found faith to be disappointing, that it hasn't measured up to the way it's supposed to be. And so you'd rather just say, God's will be done. And then I'm just going to stand back here and watch what you do. So join me, won't you? As we um, look at the life of Abraham, his story begins in Genesis 12 with his original name, Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your fam father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What a way to begin. It's like getting a call that you've won the million-dollar Powerball. All you have to do is pack up, head out of town, follow God, and go to wherever he tells you to go, and you'll become famous. Yeah, boom. Who wouldn't say heck yeah to that? But if we put this in perspective, in the ancient Jewish culture, families lived in their father's house, a house that continued to be added on to. Because this household included several generations of family members, along with his father and his wife or wives, sons and their wives, grandsons and their wives, the unmarried sons and daughters, slaves, servants, aunts, uncles, widows, orphans, and whoever else happened to be associated with the household. Abram and his wife Sarai lived in his father's house. We also know from Joshua's description in Joshua 24 that Abram, Abram's dad, Terah, worshipped idols. And so that implies that the whole household worshipped idols, including Abram. So along comes God, this single God, asking Abram to break away from his father's house to go someplace where you won't know where it is until you get there. And Abram says yes, taking what we can assume his inheritance. And so he leaves, Abraham leaves his family, takes his inheritance, and his wife Sarai takes Lot, his nephew, his wife, and his inheritance. They travel until they get to Moray, and God says, ta-da, 
this is the land that I'm giving you. Except there's a severe famine going on, which forces them to go to Egypt and live as foreigners for a while. And when they get to Egypt, there's this crazy story about Sarai being so beautiful that Abram was, was concerned that they would kill him in order to get to her. So they agree to be brother and sister. Pharaoh takes Sarai with him. Plagues come upon them all. And so he quickly returns Sarai to Abram. They're all back together. The famine ends. And so Abram and his gang head back to Moray. They get there, and now there's bickering amongst the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot. So Abram decides to split up. He tells Lot, you can have this side with this thriving city or this side with the desert. Well, of course, Lot goes with a happening city, otherwise known as Sodom, and Abram gets the desert. Well, think about it. He had to have stood there and said, this is what I left home for? This is my jackpot. This is where my faith in this God has brought me to a dry and lifeless desert. God speaks to Abram a second time and reminds him of his promise. And Lot had gone, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. I imagine Abram took a deep breath and looked around and said, all right, let's do this. God gave us this land. Let's make the best of it. Except then a war breaks out, and Lot gets captured. So Abram has to put his land development on hold, enter the war, rescue Lot, and bring him back, which he does, which is no small task. And then he goes home, and he, and he returns home, where God is waiting to speak to him a third time, and this time in a vision. God reminds Abram that he will protect him and reward him. Abram responds to God, pointing out that he doesn't have an heir. And all these blessings are great, but without an heir, it's all going to go to his servant. Genesis 15, then the Lord said to him, no, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Abram hears once again from God that he will have a son, an heir. And after a while, being that Abram is 86 years old and Sarai is 76, Sarai takes it upon herself and comes up with a plan that Abram should have relations with her servant Hagar. Hagar will have a child, but then that will belong to them. It will be Abram's and Sarai's son. And Abram, who just seconds ago heard from God and believed him, agrees. And nine months later, Hagar, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. Right after that, God speaks to Abram a fourth time. Abram is now 99 years old. God makes a covenant with Abram, guaranteeing him that he will have countless descendants. And to make his point further, he gives Abram a new name, Abraham which means father of a multitude. He will be the father of nations and countless descendants, some of which will be kings. God continues, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant 
I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God speaks about Sarai and gives her a new name. She's now Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Now, rightfully so, Abraham laughs at this because he's now 100 years old. But you see what I mean about the best of your life at the tail end? I don't want more kids, but there's something to be said for the tail end of life. Abraham says, this is great. I'm so glad we have Ishmael. God says, no, 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 no. Not Ishmael. Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son. And then God follows that with telling Abraham, here's what I need you to do to confirm this agreement, this covenant between us. You and every male now and every male in the future must be circumcised. So that happens. Once all the guys are circumcised, God appears to Abraham a fifth time by way of three men, otherwise known as angels, and they tell Abraham that next year at this time, Sarah will have a son. When they leave, the Lord tells Abraham about his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, so Abraham pleads for his family, followed by another crazy story of some king that Abraham is worried about, so they make up the story that he and Sarah are brothers and sisters, so the king won't kill him to get to her. What is it about Sarah? She's now 99 years old. She must be the hottest-looking senior in the world. Now, that I would be open to. I'm just saying. (laughs) Finally, finally, Abraham and Sarah have a son, and they name him Isaac, which means he laughs, because this truly is hilarious that these two old geezers just had a baby. Right? It had to have been. An incredible, miraculous time in their lives, one they had waited for for 25 years. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So without question, Abraham does this. He saddles his donkey, takes with him two servants, and has long awaited his one and only son whom he loves, Isaac. When they get to the place for the sacrifice, Abraham grabs his knife and leads his son to the sacrificial fire. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. With what I can imagine is unthinkable pain and fear, Abraham leads his son to the fire and ties him up. And just as he raises his knife, an angel, hallelujah from heaven, says, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord, here I am, Abraham replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. When I read these verses, even as I read them now, I I just got so overwhelmed. It was too much to take in. But God told me to keep reading. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. 
Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of your enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Paul describes Abraham in Romans 4.18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. This is an incredible story of a man who, who grew up worshiping a gaggle of gods, the gods of his father, gods who were worthless and selfish. They only took from their people, even going so far as to require that they sacrifice their children, which explains why Abraham didn't argue or plead with God, because that's just what gods did. But not this God. He sent a replacement. From the very beginning, Abraham knew that this God was different. Like I said, all the other false gods just took. This God began his relationship with Abraham by giving, by promising him land and children and blessings beyond his wildest imagination. All Abraham had to do was put his faith in God. And what faith this journey required. It began with God speaking. Abraham's faith was not built on his own dreams, his own hopes, or his own prayers. His faith was in God, in the words that God had spoken to him. Our faith, my faith, must be built on hearing God's voice, his direction, his desires for me, and for those that I'm praying for. If my faith is built on what I want, what I'm pleading for, and what I'm demanding, what I desire, what I need, it will not hold up. My faith will shatter. If we want to live by faith, then we begin by asking God what his desire is. What is it that you want, Lord? Speak to me, which I know is easier said than done. So often our prayers are based on times of desperation or time-sensitive needs. And the idea to take time to pray and wait and wait and wait for God to speak to us feels horrible if, dare I say, a waste of time. God, we've got to get this going. I need you to move now. We are in desperate need now. But waiting to hear from God is absolutely where we must begin. Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then once we hear from God and we choose to believe him, that's when our faith kicks in. Because getting from point A to point B, from God's voice to the fulfillment of his promise, if Abraham is any indication, and I believe he is, it's going to take all the faith we can muster. Because like Abraham, we are going to most likely face unexpected and unbelievable challenges, such as leaving the comfort of what we know, choosing to live a different life from that of our parents or even our friends, getting detoured, going the opposite way from our destination, experiencing division, putting our careers and goals on hold, receiving threats from the outside that get us off course, setting our, our own goals aside in order to rescue others, experiencing physical pain or sacrifice, and possibly the ultimate, being willing to give it all up because God asked you to. Let me also point out that sometimes, if not all the time, we don't fully understand the picture 
or the complete blessing that God is, is, is giving to us. Abraham couldn't grasp all that God had called him to, especially the kid part. So he took it upon himself to have a child of Hagar's. That's what he thought God meant. But that wasn't it at all. And if Abraham had stopped there, the blessings would have been stunted and everything would have fallen apart, fallen short. God's promises are, as Ephesians 3 tells us, exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask or imagine. But through it all, no matter how confusing, how difficult, how slow in the fulfillment, God promises to always see us through. Isaiah. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. One of my favorite authors and theologians on Jewish scripture is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and he writes this about faith. Taking Genesis literally, the universe might be made in seven days, but anything in the human world that involves profound change takes time. Faith is the ability to live with delay without losing trust in the promise, to experience disappointment without losing hope, to know that the road between the real and the ideal is long and yet be willing to undertake the journey. That was Abraham and Sarah's faith. Profound change. If I'm honest with myself, that's what I want. I don't want a quick fix. I want a profound change. But if that's the case, I got to know, we got to know that sometimes it's going to take time. Sometimes a long time, maybe 25 years of time or maybe longer. But no matter how long it takes, God never leaves us alone while we walk and run and battle our way through faith. He continues to speak to us, to encourage us as he did with Abraham through his direct voice, through his word, through visions or dreams, through other people. Faith was never meant to be separate from God, and faith was never meant to start without God. Let me say that again. Faith was never meant to be separate from God. It was never meant to start without God. As I finished reading all this, I sat at my desk and just was thinking it all through. And the world became very still around me, very quiet. And I sensed that God was next to me. And after a while, it felt very clearly that God had spoken to me. And I knew it was something that I was to share with Ava. So that night, I sat next to her and I said, Honey, um, God's got, God spoke to me today and he wanted me to share with you what he said. And here's what he said. Ava? Your best years are ahead. You and me, kiddo. Our best years are ahead. My best years are not when I was younger. Your best years were not before the accident. Your best years are today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and the years ahead. Your best years, my best years are ahead. And when I said that to her, I thought, gosh, this must have been how Abraham felt, where God was vague yet specific. Uncertain, yet exciting. And it was all going to require a great deal of faith. And so I begin. 
rebuilding my faith. Committed to listening to God first, then grabbing hold of God's hand as we fight, fight the onslaught of anything and everything that will try to defeat my faith. And through it all, I'm going to do my darndest to keep my eyes on Jesus and not the end product. It's a big goal, but I think maybe for the first time I can say with great confidence, I'm calling forth that which is not as though it is. Let me pray. Father, I was thinking this morning that when it comes to faith, it requires great courage. And for those in this room and people online who desire to maybe know faith for the first time, return to faith or figure out faith, I pray that your spirit of courage would just run rampant throughout us. That you would allow us to hear your voice and to have the patience and the, well, the courage and the patience to ask, speak to me, Lord, and would you respond? Help us to seek you with all our heart and soul because I want to and I believe those of us that are here want to live by faith, to believe in an incredible job, a God who will do exciting things if we wait, in you, wait on you and trust you and have faith in you. So build our faith, rebuild our faith, Lord. We don't want to do it without you. In Jesus' name, amen.